My name is Dave. <clears throat> I'm glad to be able to uh, share with you today. Uh, it's my privilege to be on staff here at Highland Park. And we're continuing in our series on the, Beatit or on the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we looked at the Beatitudes. Uh, the Greek word for blessed, makarios, can mean happy, well-off, fortunate, greatly blessed. But last week Brian used this phrase also that could be understood as God thinks highly of you. And so when we think in terms of the Beatitudes, we think that God is saying, I, I think highly of you, you who are poor in spirit. I think highly of you. And so when we think about those kind of things, that's, we have to be real careful that we don't hear that as just some kind of soft, fluffy, puffy, religious thing. God is saying, I, I, I am happy. I, I am blessed. God is saying, when he looks at me, he sees me as well off and fortunate. He sees me as someone favored by God. Because he knows what life is like for all of us. Today on the sermon page, you'll see that we're, we're moving from the Beatitudes. And we're going to be moving from Beatitudes to similitudes. Uh, similitude simply meaning that, that this is the quality or the state of things uh, being similar in function. And so we're going to be using this today to move from, from the beatitude into this is how God also wants us to see ourselves. Not only as blessed people, but also people who have function within the kingdom of God. Uh, so if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, let's just read that, that verse together. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. Now, I found this to be interesting. In ancient Rome, salt on the table was a mark of a rich person. And if you were a guest at that person's house, where you sat in relationship to the salt determined where you were in your relationship with the owner of the house, with the host of the evening. You either sat above the salt or you were below the salt. But the salt was the, salt was the deciding factor in, in how people viewed themselves even in those days. Now, I do have a disclaimer that I have to go into right now. As a heart patient, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be speaking a little bit differently about the influence of salt. <clears throat> Three years ago, this past Thursday, January 17th, uh, I had a heart attack. Uh, Roseanne got to call Brian and say, oh, by the way, Dave won't be there to teach today. Uh, he's in the hospital. He's having a heart attack. Now, last week, Gabriella had us close with this statement, every time you see a salt shaker. Well, I try not to. <laughs> However, I do see another woman occasionally. Her name is Mrs. Dash. <laughs> and if you don't know who Mrs. Dash is, you keep eating salt, you will. 
Now, maybe you thought I was going to say you see another woman like Lot's wife. That's what happens when you don't know Mrs. Dash. You turn into that pillar of salt. But at our house, we're just glad to be past January 17th. We're just, we're just celebrating that. But notice that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And so we ask, well, what kind of salt are you? Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. That had to be a good thing, not a bad thing for Jesus to say that. So what, what kind of salt are you? Well, how many salts are there? How many different kinds of salts do you know? There are four common salts that, that I think of when I think of salt. I think of kosher salt. You know, kosher salt, that's a coarse, it's edible. It's usually not used on the table. It's usually used in preparation. Uh, there is rock salt, also called halite. That's, that's the salt that, that has some color in it, maybe some other minerals in it. There is sea salt. You get that from evaporated salt water. Table salt, most of American table salt, iodine added, comes from uh, being mined. Kansas and New York have huge places, a lot of different places where salt is mined. But those are the, those are the kinds of salt we normally deal with. Now, there's another one called Epsom salt, but please don't eat that. <laughs> don't put that on anything, except maybe your feet. Okay. Now, in verse 13, salt is seen as, as something of influence. And, and when you think about salt, what, is, what does salt accomplish? What is it used for? What was it used for? Salt was used as a preservative. And, and salt was used to enhance flavor. And salt was used medicinally. How many of you have ever had a sore throat and you've gargled with salt water? You probably did it twice. Once you said, I'll never do that again. And then the second time you said, now I remember why I said I'd never do that again. But it has this medicinal quality to it as well. Salt is influential. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt fights the corruption of bacteria. Salt is that which enhances relationships. Salt is that which strengthens and brings out the best. But Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, there's a problem with that. But how does salt lose its saltiness? What happens to salt that makes it unsalty? If you take table salt, it stops being salty because it disappears when you put it on your food. But that isn't what Jesus was talking about. The influence is already imparted to the meat, or the influence is already imparted. Because we don't eat much salt or use much salt, and there are a lot of things that have salt in them already, if we happen to go out to dinner and we get something, I can taste the salt immediately. It's like, whoa. That's a whole lot more salt than I'm used to. But what happens if salt loses its saltiness? I mean, Jesus says it's possible. And if Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, and then he says salt can lose its saltiness, there's something we need to know here. There's something we need to pay attention to. Because if he says, I want you to be salt, he's also saying, don't lose your saltiness. What happens to make salt lose its saltiness? It usually comes in the form of some kind of contaminant that, if, that, approach, that attacks the salt. 
Usually, it had to do in the old times of how salt was stored and moisture would get in. It would be stored on the ground. Moisture would get to it. And if it was like a rock salt, the only thing that would be left would be the, the other minerals that were present. Now, here's, here's, a, here's an important question. What is the salt you use to make homemade ice cream? Anybody got plans to do that this afternoon, by the way? Any, <laughs> anybody thought this morning? You got up this morning, walked out in the garage and said, you know, I think I'm going to get the ice cream freezer down out of the attic and, and make some... No. Why, do, why does the city spread salt on streets when it's icy? We say it's going to melt the ice. Technically, what it does is it reduces the freezing point of water. Gee, I could almost go to a STEM class now. No, I can't. Uh, <laughs> It does reduce the freezing point of water. It makes water actually colder. That's why you use rock salt when you're making ice cream. It reduces the temperature by which it freezes. It makes it get colder. Thus, my ice cream gets firmer. But you don't want rock salt in your ice cream, right? Anybody ever pull the lid too soon? Way to go. We'll give that to the neighbors. They can have that one. When you are the salt of the earth, you have to be careful that you don't lose your saltiness. Mark chapter 9, verse 5 says, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Notice what Jesus adds to the salt influence here. Have salt among yourselves, be at peace. There is something about a Christian who has, who has the right kind of salt in his life, the influence in his life that promotes peace. Christians without salt cannot promote peace. Salt that loses its saltiness loses its influence for peace. And so it's important for us to understand this is what Jesus had in mind, that he wants us to say, I am the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, there is, there is a loss in a value there. It is not good for me to have that kind of loss of saltiness in my life. He says the only value that salt has at that point is to be thrown out. Now, folks... We talked about how that when we listen to the Beatitudes and we get these almost warm, warm, fuzzy feelings about what Jesus says and Jesus says you're blessed and all those kind of things and God is favoring you, it is for the purpose of you having influence in the world in which you live. And Jesus also says then, you are also the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're the salt of the earth. 
You're the light of the world. Notice the context. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Salt and light are influence, but they have different areas in which they provide influence. They have different responsibilities. They have different things that they accomplish. You can shine a light on a piece of meat all day long and it won't taste any better. You can have all of the salt in the world and it won't make any difference in the behavior of men. They'll still be lost in darkness. But when you are salt and light, you have an influence for Christ. You enhance, you strengthen, you provide direction, you give the opportunity to see, you reveal that which is contaminating, you reveal that which is a bad influence. You're the light of the world. So the logical question then is, what kind of light are you? And here's, here's the dangerous part. If we aren't real careful, we will begin to believe that we are the light. And what Jesus meant was, you are the reflected light of me. John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I'm not the light of all mankind. In fact, John 8, 8 12 says, when Jesus spoke to the, again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus said, you are the light of the world because he understood that we are his and that he is reflected through us to the degree that my life reflects the light of Christ is the degree to which I get to have light and shine in dark places and provide light that provides help and encouragement and help and warning and all of those things. Not my light, but the light that is reflected through me. That's how I get to be the light of the world. Jesus used this illustration of a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, Tim Keller describes a, sit, a city as a collection of lights. And he says that likewise, the church is to be a collection of lights that shine into the darkness of the world around us. Jesus says his disciples are to shine in the world with a derived brightness that flows from him, the true light. The purpose of light is to shine, right? That is, that's the purpose of light. Light is to shine. When you let your light shine, it will be as obvious, Jesus says, as a city that is up on a hillside and you can't help but see it at night. Years and years ago, when I was coming to Tulsa, I loved to be able to, out on the out on east of town, when we'd come up on the crest of a hill and I could see into downtown Tulsa. And I could see the light downtown. And, and I meant to find this out. I'll just ask you right now. What was the bank building that had the colored lights? NBT, National Bank of Tulsa? All I'm hearing is... I'm hearing people sound like... 
Yes. You just lost your saltiness, buddy. But I loved it. Now, I grant you, I, I loved Tulsa. Every, the first time I came to Tulsa, I thought, this is a great city. And I loved Tulsa. But I was coming to Tulsa because there was a girl here in town. And I really loved her. But when I would come in and I could see downtown, and I, and I man, I'm almost there. I'm almost, I'm almost into Tulsa. I'm almost there. And you could see it from a long way off. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Folks, the church that is a collection of lights, your light, my light, added together with the person next to you and the next to you and the next to you, we're like a city set on a hill. And we can't be hidden. We don't want to be hidden. We want to be able to provide light. And that's the important thing that we need to understand about. This is what it means when Jesus said, I want you to be influential. I want you to be the salt of the earth. And I want you to be the light of the world. I want the world to know, here's the direction you can go. Here's the light. When, when the psalmist says that his word is a light to my path, that's the kind of light that Jesus wants us to be. When we understand that I need light. Let me ask you this question. What is the difference between seeing a city in the daytime and seeing a city at night? What's the difference? The light. Don't ever misunderstand that statement. I can see in the daytime because of the light. Light, we, we think of light, oh, it functions at night. But during the daytime, it is still light that makes it possible for us to see. And folks, your light shines day and night. Your light shines and people see it even when you don't know that they're seeing it. That's why you're the light of the world. That's why it is important for us to understand that. Verse 15 says that people do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You see, the problem is never that Jesus' light isn't bright enough. The problem is that sometimes we put bowls over our lights so that it can't be seen. So what kind of a bowl would do that? It might be the bowl of my own sin. It might be the bowl of, of my own timidity. Well, I know I really need to talk to that person, but oh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't want to make them mad. And this bowl comes over my light. And that person is in darkness because my light has been put out, made dark. And Jesus said, that's not the way light functions. In fact, he says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. When you think about a light stand in the house, let me suggest that there's probably more than one light, right? I don't know how many, 
I don't know how many lamps we have in our house. I know that it is a routine that we go through now to go up and go in the morning and go turn on lights and lamps. We have more lamps than we have overhead lights. Maybe you do too at your house. But the more lamps we turn on, the more lights we turn on, the brighter it is in the house. Jesus said, that's kind of the way the church ought to be. Your light added to your light, added to your light, added to my light. And it provides brightness so that everyone can see. He gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 15 says, you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone. Notice that Jesus is saying, multiple lights means multiplied brightness. Folks, the opposite of that is true. A church that has lights that are dimmed by conflict, by sin, by lack of faith, by lack of love, by lack of service, is a dim influence in the community. I love to hear people say, I love Highland Park. They really care for our community. I have to be real careful. I don't get prideful with that. We all have to. But wouldn't you rather be a part of a church that people say those kind of things about you than, man, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't touch that place. Why? Because they know some of the bickering and the fighting or they know some other history of that place. Let your light so shine. Let your light shine. Verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, you have to understand, Jesus has already talked about the Pharisees. And they were doing things to be seen of men. And Jesus says, you're not supposed to do that. Then Jesus comes here to verse 16 and says, let your good deeds be seen. Well, make up your mind, Jesus. Come on. He's made up his mind. He's saying, I want you to let your light shine. What's the outcome? That people will see your good deeds, but they're not running up and saying, oh, how wonderful you are. They're saying, you know what? I see God in you. I see God at work in you. Let your light so shine that they can see your good works. That when the church family meets the need of another family in the church or in the community, when it's known as a place that cares for people, when people say, I did my grief share at Highland Park, I did, I did this at Highland Park. Highland Park came, into our, came to my house, cleaned the leaves out of my gutter, cleaned and raked my yard. That's the kind of letting your light shine so that they can say, those folks really love God. So that they will see your good works. None of this false humility None of this false pride either so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. 
Jesus condemned the Pharisees for praying and fasting so that other people would see them. But he calls us to be people who do our works so that others can see them and recognize that it is a reflection of the light of Christ in us and through us. And they're going to give praise to our God and Father in heaven because of that. Now here's one, other, here's one warning that we need to understand. It comes from John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Light can attract. Light can also repel. In John 3, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Sometimes, folks, when you are the light, there are people who tell you, dial it down, turn it off. Because your light is revealing the sin in their life. You're making choices to live a life that honors Christ and they know they're not. And they will tell you, you just need to, you're you're just showing off. They will say all kinds of things. What they're saying is, your light is revealing something bad about me. Jesus said, light can attract, but it can also repel, it can reveal. And he says, sinners love darkness. Now, at our house, I get up early in the morning, and I don't turn on very many lights. And when Roseanne gets up and comes in, She has to go around and turn on the lights. And she says, sinners love darkness. I hate it when she quotes scripture to me that early in the morning. (laughs) You think she's nice. (laughs) But you see, there there are times in our lives when we encounter people that being confronted is hard. But Jesus has called us to be salt that enhances flavor, that fights bacteria, fights corruption, that is medicinal, is redemptive. The light is so that people can see their way to God. Let your light so shine. By the way, did you hear that Tom Phillips passed away? And you're going, Dave, I I don't know that I know Tom Phillips, and don't, don't feel bad. A lot of people didn't. But in the 1970s, Tom Phillips was the chairman of the board of Raytheon Corporation. That's a pretty big outfit. Tom Phillips was a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And one one evening, a close friend of his came by to talk to him. A close friend of his who was not anywhere close to being a Christian came by to talk to him. And they talked long into the night about what it meant to surrender your life to Christ. And Tom's friend left the house not convinced just yet. But on his way home, he stopped. And he realized that he wanted whatever it was that his friend Tom Phillips had. And he gave his life to Christ. 
Now, the interesting thing about that, even though Tom Phillips' friend was well-known, and Tom Phillips' friend was soon to make national headlines because he was going to go to federal prison, and he did. And all that time, Tom Phillips never bragged about, well, you know, I, I talked to him about Christ. Never. But when the guy got out of prison, he wrote a book. And maybe you've heard of the book. The book was called Born, of Again, Born Again, and the author was Chuck Colson. And it was Tom Phillips who influenced Chuck Colson to come to know Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing about how this fits, I think. Chuck Colson became influential in the lives of thousands upon thousands of people. Businessmen and women, students, prisoners, all came to know Christ through the influence of Chuck Colson. Just a few weeks before Tom Phillips died, Chuck Colson's daughter called and said, can I, can I come by? I want to see you one more time. And she went by and she said, I just want to thank you again for telling my dad about Christ. Because if you hadn't done that, he probably would have never come to know Christ. And if my dad hadn't come to know Christ, I... I probably wouldn't have either. And, and if I hadn't come to know Christ, my son Max would not know Christ. So I want to give you something. And she gave him a picture. It was a picture of Chuck Colson baptizing his grandson Max into Christ. And she said, Tom, that's what you did for our family. Folks, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And you may say, I'll never have the influence of a Chuck Colson, but can you have the influence of a Tom Phillips to tell one guy, one person? You see, that's what happens when we're willing to say, God, I will be the light that you want me to be. When we're willing to say, God, I'll be salt. I'll do my best to enhance whatever relationship I encounter. I will seek to heal. I will seek to preserve. I will seek to show the way. God, all I'm doing is you. And God says, that's why you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Father, I thank you that you make it possible for us to be engaged in the business of bringing salt and light to a decaying and dark world. Father, help us never to lose sight that you've given us that privilege. And we only have that privilege because Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again, and calls us to himself. Father, may we 
may we recognize the importance of the influence that we have, that we can indeed make differences in the lives of those immediately around us, and that's what we've called, you've called us to do. I pray it in Christ's name.